Hey, I'm Chris Cooper. I took a 200-word blog and built a $25 million mentorship company from it. It wasn't easy, and I had to learn some huge and expensive lessons along the way. But now I'm sharing those lessons with other business coaches and mentors and high-level entrepreneurs in this podcast. Want to chat with me? Go to businessisgood.com and click join the movement. We'll see you there. Welcome to businessisgood.com. Today, I'm talking with one of my favorite local entrepreneurs, Jason Katzenbach. And Jason has a really interesting story. And it's really interesting because it's, it's a unique, it's not the traditional path to success in business or in life. Several years ago, maybe 10, I was coaching full-time in my gym and Jason was a client. And sometimes we'd be in the gym, it would be just the two of us. And he found out that I was writing blog posts and he offered to help. And he said that he had this video set up in his house. And I just kind of said, yeah, okay, whatever guy, like, I, I don't know what he does. Fast forward four years, I'm in a car with really great CEOs in San Diego and everybody in the car is talking about Jason Katzenbach. And today we're going to find out why, what I missed originally the first time that I met him and where he's been since then. So Jay, welcome in. Thanks man. Appreciate it. It's always good to talk to you, Chris. Yeah. So we just had a lunch where I said, if we don't start recording here, uh, I'm going to miss way too many interesting things, but I'd love to start just with your story, Jay. So several years ago you were working in a paint booth, <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, when life is all about figuring out, you know, your next step, isn't it? And so when I was young, um, I had a very unique situation where I was adopted and I felt in a young age going through high school that I, I kind of never belonged. I had good friends, but I never really from a family perspective felt like I belonged. And as I've looked back now, I'm about to turn 50 this year. I look back and, you know, over the last few years and really have looked and understood why. And I realized that, you know, my first goal in life was to get married because I wanted and have kids because I wanted to belong. I wanted, I didn't care about a job. I didn't care about success. I wanted my own family. Well, I was 23 when that happened. Suddenly I got my own family. And I realized, oh my goodness, this is expensive. <laughs> so, expensive. <laughs> and so what I was doing, I was working for a company called Wirehouser. At the time it was McMillan Blodell, uh, but we're, it's, you're in this paint booth, so these big bundles of eight by four foot bundles of wood would come down and they'd have to go into this box, which is like a 10 by 10, 10 by 12 box, where the sides would come down and it would paint the edges of the board so that water couldn't penetrate and swell. So every week on a Thursday, there'd be a down day. And so one of my jobs when I started here was to clean the paint booths on down day. And I remember sitting there and it's a, I've mentioned this story so many times because it was a truly profound moment in my life is I'm sitting there just with my elbows on my knees and I've got these big rubber boots on and the paint is up, almost bubbling over the side of the boots, paint's dripping down the side of my face and it's this green, heavy latex paint. I'm just depressed. I'm like, this is what I'm going to be doing the rest of my life. No way. And I remember at that moment, and I actually never shared this with you, Steve. This is true. I'm sorry, Chris. This is a true story. I remember that night talking to Ken Harrison and uh, Terry Nyman. And I said, in five years, I'm going to be everyone's boss. And they laughed and they laughed and laughed. It took me three years because at that moment I had a purpose. I knew that I, it was a lifestyle purpose for me as I had a young family. 
I needed money. I didn't want to work to the bone 24-7, but I knew I had to work hard, but I want to be strategic. What is it that I want to do? So I looked at entrepreneurship, I looked at maintenance, and I looked at uh, being a manager. At that moment in my life, management was the best fit because of how I wanted to live my lifestyle. But as I was doing management, I ended up getting promoted and, and moving from Ontario down to Michigan. And... It was a great, because all of a sudden there's a 28-year-old kid becoming people's bosses down in the States near, like this is an army town, and this was right at 9-11, 2001, 9-11, so it was a big lesson for me, and that's where I actually got a lot of confidence learning to talk in front of people, because now all of a sudden, I'm having to be a manager to like 50-year-old war vets that look at this foreigner young punk kid that this job should have went to someone already from there, so I had a lot of challenges to learn. But one of the best lessons I learned is that if you really want to tr- exceed in the corporate world, you have to pretty much sacrifice your soul. Um, the the guy that was the boss, the boss, the boss, who skyrocketed and was a big role model for people there, was known for bringing his RV to work so that he could work all day, go out, sleep four hours, come back in and work all day, even though he's married and had family. He was just a dedicated guy and there was no way I was doing that. For me, it was about lifestyle. So at that moment in my life, I had to figure out like, what am I after here? Like I don't, it's not fame, it's not money, it's lifestyle. So I needed to figure out how I could work from home, earn money and have the freedom to do things with my kids. But you gotta be careful with that word freedom because a lot of times you think freedom, well, it doesn't mean you don't work hard. You work super, super hard but you get to do it on your own time. You get to have the laptop, you get to travel. Now, I don't do good with work and travel. I've tried it, I've tried that dot-com lifestyle where like traveling the world working, I need routine. So for me to work best is I have to know, so I make sure Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays are work. But other than that, I can have fun. But other people, yeah, they're traveling, they're on the beach working to me, I can't, that's not how I am. But I still knew I needed weekends off, I needed evenings off, I wanted to be able to go to my daughter's events if they needed. So that's when I decided that I really wanted to focus in on the entrepreneur thing and start my own business. And I was always comfortable with the idea of starting a business because my mom was a hairdresser and my dad was a, he owned, uh, well my stepfather, he owned a bunch of businesses as well. So I knew that was an option, but it just, you know, and really what it came down to as well is not only the freedom, but you can't be a master at too many things. And I realized if I'm really focusing on growing, I either have to focus on my career or focus on a business. So when I decided to start focusing on my business, the similar story happened is I remember telling everyone I'm going to be quitting my job by the end of the year and nobody believed me. And sure enough, by the end of the year, I was able to quit. Um, and this was in 2005. And from there, like it just exploded my business. So it was, uh, it was a very unique traveling experience. But as I look back now, I realize like the biggest thing for me, it was never, I got so hung up in the now in what I was trying to do. I was always confused as to why you'd hear people say, follow your passions, follow your passions. Well, when I was young, for example, my passion was, I just wanted a family. 
So then once I got that, then it was like, okay, well, what's next now? Well, now I want to be able to support this family. Now I want to be able to have time with this family. So that's always been my driving factor for my life. And it was just trying to figure out how I could evolve my life around the things that I want to do with my kids. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think we're going to, we're going to really hone in on that later. So right now you're, you're in Michigan, you're working in a managerial job. You think I've got to make this shift to being an entrepreneur. How'd you do that? Like, what was your first business? So my first business was uh, creating little eBooks. And I had a, a book back in the day called pickyeaterrecipes.com. So what I realized is that you could create content online and people would buy it. So obviously, you know, and you wonder why, why you can just go and read blog posts. Um, well, blogs actually weren't a lot around back then. Article directories were kind of coming big things. Um, and so as I, I started just researching and seeing that people were paying like $19 for this ebook. And I got really good at, I like writing content, I like talking. So I got really good at being able to rank in the search engines, just playing around with it. So then I started creating an ebook called PickyEaterRecipes.com and it took off. Now, I mean, it was only making like a couple thousand dollars a month, but back then, like I was only making $65,000 a year. And all of a sudden doing this thing on the side, I got this other thing making a couple grand a month. So then it's like, well, where do you put your energy though? That's the problem. It's like, I have, I work all day. I come home. I made sure that I always spent the first hour with my kids on the floor, like playing with them and all that. And then you have dinner and all that. And then while there's watching TV, I'm like focusing on my business. My wife would go to bed. I'd be staying up all Saturday, Sundays. Like you're just burning the midnight oil, but you have to, because at that time, like I had to decide what do I want to do? I want to run my business. So you just, I just had to work. And I remember my, my wife at the time actually doing the whole Jerry Maguire thing, show me the money. Cause I just kept telling her like, it's coming, it's coming. You're working hard. And that's, what's so hard about entrepreneurship. And a big thing of advice I can give people is keep your mouth shut, show <laughs> your results. Don't brag about what you're doing because then what happens is you eat crow first of all, because people are asking you, Oh, whatever happened to that? Oh, huh. Oh, you seem like it was going so well. Well, what ends up happening, I think, is psychologically, you already start achieving the goal sometimes. So if you're sitting there talking about it, bragging about it, just something psychological happens. And what I find a lot more powerful, like for me, for example, you, people have been asking me for the last year what I'm doing. I'm very tight-lipped about it because I want to launch my new business and be a success and then talk about it because there's so much work to put into it. And I realize that, but sometimes you get so excited and you're bragging about it. And that's where I was. I was always like, oh, this is going to be great. And then all of a sudden, you know, show me the money or like, why are we doing this? Um, and it was really hard because nothing goes as planned. I mean, I look at you, Chris, like you did not expect that your blog posts would take off like they did. And the things that you thought were going to take off didn't, you know, and it's just so you never know. So you got to try a whole bunch of things. But the one thing I learned from that too, is you better love what you're doing. Cause you know, don't fake it. Cause if you fake it and you don't love what you're doing, you're going to do a bad job at it. So how did you go from the, the picky eaters recipe book to selling on Amazon? I created a community. So one of the biggest things anybody who wants to start a business is, is first of all, if you don't have an audience, you better figure out the audience, you know, like start with the problem and the solution. I mean, it's one oh one for business planning kind of thing. Like you got to figure out what is the problem you're solving and don't be 
So and I'm going to answer your question. Don't worry. This I'm, I'm going to get around to it. But you've got to solve a problem and then figure out what the solution to that is. And so as I started solving problems for myself, people started asking me questions. And I started using this. It was actually an article directory submitter tool. And I got really good results. And I got involved in the community because I was a really good customer. And I started networking. So as I started networking and people saw that I knew what I was doing, it started creating conversations and people started wanting to work with me because they were interested in what I was doing. And so all of a sudden, as I'm doing this, within a year, I started this company called Portal Feeder, where what we realized is people needed a quick and easy way. And blogs weren't really a, as big of a thing. They were just starting back then. And this is, again, 2005. So we created this software that would pull from article directories and republish that content onto your blog, onto your website. And back then there was no things like duplicate content or anything like that on the internet. So you could have like, if I typed in picky recipes from my eight year old kid, I could have the exact same article on 15 different websites all be on page one. So it was because of that, I started talking to people. I really learned how to use SEO and SaaS software as a service to be able to create a community and provide software and tools to build this audience. And once you have the audience, you have the mark. Because once you have the listener base, and that's you know such a, a, a tribute to you with your storytelling, like start with value and don't look to make money. I remember helping this one guy, he, he wanted to do recipes online, cooking online, and he didn't have any followers and he was putting tape over the brand of the stove. And I'm like, what are you doing that for? He goes, I'm not giving free advertising. And I'm like, you're not gonna succeed. Because right away, it's like you're more concerned of what's in it for you than giving value. So when you're starting, you have to just give value, be honest, be transparent talk to people, share things, like create those audiences. Um, and so that's what I did. And it was nice because I was also in charge of the narrative because I created a community. So it wasn't a free community where anyone can just come in and talk and like talk blindly about anything. No, this was my community, my product. So there's rules in this community. It's like going into a store, you know, this whole mask mandate. If someone wants you to wear a this is probably not a good idea to go down, actually. But as a store owner, you know, if, if that owner is requesting that you wear a mask, wear a mask. Yeah. You know, it's all about human respect for each other. And we're always about our rights and everything. But it's like, why can't we just help each other? Why can't we just build each other up? And so with content and community, um, you know, when you're in that store, just like with this community, it's all about building people up. If you want to come in here and shoot stuff down and be negative, it's like there's no room for you. This isn't a public place, so I have the ability to kick you out. And it's those negative people. I'm, I'm going to digress, and I'm going to ask you to take me back on track. Because sometimes I, uh, but this was one of the biggest lessons I learned when you're hiring is there's in the general electric guy can't remember his name right now back in the day you know the main general electric ceo back from the 80s yeah, check well sorry the welch chart so when you hire people there's a line that goes down the middle and that line represents heart meaning they love your company and they love your message and they align with your values then you've got the up and down access which is um performance so if they're high on heart and low on performance, you can coach that. You can coach someone to get better performance. If they're high on performance and low on heart, 
fire that person. Get rid of them, they are a cancer to your business because you can't train heart. If someone's not aligned with your business and you're sitting there like, oh, we'll get them, all they're doing is causing cancer. They're gonna be nitpicking at things, they're gonna constantly be causing issues and it'll absolutely haunt you. So I went sideways on them a little bit, but that's a huge point that was so huge for me because when you're hiring people, you're hiring people to help your business. You're not a charity. So if someone's not aligned with your values and, and knowing your values right away, there's going to be a misalignment. So you have to know and have a passion and a purpose. So now I'm going to go back to my community. So with my community, I knew what I wanted to do is I had a, a real clear vision of I'm going to use this community to build more tools. So from that aspect, we started Portal Feeder. I had this community and over the next five years, I created Traffic Kahuna, Web2 Mayhem, all these different software tools. But it's because we had that community. Then in 2012, this was around the time, actually 2011, Google started coming up with all these cute things like the Panda update, all these kind of things that were, this is the end of SEO as you know it, that no more is a duplicate content, no more is it keyword rankings, there's all these algorithms that now that look at your, your context and content and meaning and what other words should be in this and there's social media now that is that provides these votes so it all changed and just at that time i was part of this group called the mavericks and this is a networking group because it's so important again as we said we started i was a customer to a forum, I became a really good member and I networked and I met people and I worked hard and I provided a lot of value. And as I did that, I started meeting more and more people and I constantly focused on networking as important. And then in 2011, I met this guy, Matt Clark, who is this young 24 year old who is just crushing it on Amazon. And to me at that time, I'm like, it was just a perfect storm because I'm seeing my business and SEO standpoint falling but this kid's telling me about how he's just crushing it on Amazon, selling his own brand of health supplements. And it was just like the perfect storm because I had all this ability. I understood how to market. I understood how to create communities and everything. So we ended up, he taught me how to sell on Amazon. I lucked out with a lot of things because in October I launched selling these raspberry ketone and Garcinia Cambogia supplements which if you're in the health industry, I can probably imagine if you remember that your, your, your eyes are like, ooh, not bad, but yes, I did. And Dr. Oz comes out and says, these are the best supplements in the world. My business just exploded on Amazon. I literally went from October just starting to in January doing over $200,000 a month with about a 50% profit margin. It was insane. The problem was it didn't align with me from a business because I wasn't really in the health industry. Um, I, at that time, I probably should have been using the supplements, you know, <laughs> if they worked. But it was just, it, it didn't feel right. But what it did do, though, is it gave me a new opportunity because I love teaching. And, you know, back in 2005, when all of a sudden that business model took off of me helping other business owners, all of a sudden I had these people telling me, like, you're changing my life, you're helping me. And so it really, it gives you this altruistic kind of motivation to keep doing what you're doing. Then I launched this, it's called the amazing selling machine and we're creating millionaires. We're creating people that are now able to start their own businesses. They're like huge. And there's people right now they've sold their businesses for hundreds of millions of dollars that we sold that they sold 
their business forward because of these companies that they've created through that business model. And all it was, was based on the fact is you find markets that you could get products shipped to from overseas, or if it was something that went on your skin or you ingested, you'd get it in North America. But you'd buy it at, not wholesale, because you buy private label, you'd get it like dirt cheap, they would put all the branding in it, you create your own brand, and then you'd sell your product. And because when I launched that back in 2011, 12, there was very little competition, it just took off. And again, like over the next few years, we were just helping so many people become wildly successful and, and all this success came our way and all of a sudden I find myself on stage like interviewing Richard Branson and Robert Kiyosaki of Rich Dad Poor Dad and like I'm, it was just crazy like it, it took off but what was the most profound thing on that for me was at the end of the day it was all because I was chasing that people coming up to me shaking my hand saying you've changed my life. It was all about helping to inspire and create. And, you know, so many times I was asked, why do you even share this? Like, you're going to create competition. It's like, because it's not about the money. It's not about the finances. Life's way bigger than that. And money is not happiness. You know, and I don't know what the number is now. They've talked about the $75,000 rule. And I'm sure it's a little bit more with inflation now. It's like the quarter million rule. <laughs> but, you know, there's that level of financial income that it does not affect your your happiness at all anymore. Once you have your primary things in place, everything else is just an added stressor. So it's for me, it was like I never wanted to be the billionaire. I never wanted to be anything. I just wanted to be someone that makes people's lives better. And that might sound hokey, but it's like what gives me happiness. Like I just like knowing that once I'm done talking to someone, people are like, yeah, I can do this. While at the same time, I love creating things. And I found that the avenue... It's kind of like an artist and you know it's really just an analogy that comes to me now but i love creating things that then inspire people to say hey i can do something like that and change my life now and you know i'm 49 i'm going to be 50 this year i sold out two years ago so i what ended up happening ago was five years ago uh, seven years ago now my oldest daughter ended up getting cancer and then three years later she passed away and then a year later my wife got cancer and then a year later, she had to have a double bypass. Now, you see my wife, she's 115 pounds. She's like very petite, but she's got a genetic disorder where her blood has high cholesterol. So she has to take a, a cholesterol an injection, actually, that costs 750 bucks a month. And it took us about a year to be able to get the, our insurance to actually cover it here. And so you have all these challenges. And I was just realizing my life is like, this is the exact opposite of what I was trying to do. Now I have this huge company with all these employees. I'm now a CEO that has to be focused on administrative tasks. I have no time. I'm traveling all the time. I'm not seeing my family. I've just lost my daughter. I'm going to lose my wife. What the hell am I doing? And so it was at that point that I realized, and it's happened so much. And I, I, I tried to explain this earlier. Um, but I think I got off track where the whole idea is you have these paths in life where you just think, this is what I do. This is the next step. You know, when you're done high school, what do you do? Go to college or maybe the family for you is you go get a job. Then you get married. And then, you know, and so for me with company, I had this company that was growing. And what's the next step? Well, you got to get an office. What's the next step? You got to hire people. That's the next step. You got to get HR. And all of a sudden, we're like going from making all this money. And I'm looking at the bank and every month we're losing $400,000 in payroll. And I'm like... What happened? All of a sudden, I have no life with my family anymore. What happened? And I realized it was just, you just get caught up with 
when you have a business, there's these things you're supposed to do. But at the end of the day, why are you chasing that? Is it because you want to be recognized and famous? Or is it like you just want to brag and say, I got 27 employees. Yeah, well, I've got three employees and I'm a hell of a lot more profitable than you. You know, like it's like, what are you chasing? And what is it that your end goal is? Because for me, a lot of times earlier in life, I did find that pride was pushing my objective more. And so with the office, we ended up moving to, you know, here I am, Sault Ste. Marie. I have an office. It's actually, it's um, the, across the street from Giovanni's, the industrial park area. I'm paying 1500 bucks a month, uh, 1900 bucks a month. I've got all my employees in there. It's work. I don't think I was paying an employee more than 20 bucks an hour. Move ahead a year. I go from 11 employees to 60. And the minimum I'm paying people is 60000 a year. And it was just like, all of a sudden you look at it, it's like, why did we do that? And it was just because we thought like, oh, cool, we're Facebook now, we're growing, we're gonna be this and this and this. Totally lost focus of everything we were about creating. We were about creating and transforming people's lives. Suddenly we started focusing on, no, no, I don't have time to be in the community talking to people anymore. I don't have time to do all this stuff. I have to run a company. I never wanted that. You know, that was never me. I wanted to be having a company that I'm part of, that I'm like, I don't know if I necessarily, again, like with what I'm creating right now, want to be the long-term CEO, but I want to create something that I feel like I want to be involved in the rest of my life, like something that's fun for me. It's, And again, it's like the artist thing. Like I want to keep painting. I have to, like there's things that I just want to do. And so I have to figure out how to get those things done. And what I'm doing now is something I've never done before. So instead, uh, you know, I've always done online businesses. So now I'm actually creating my own manufacturing facility here in Canada to sell my own brand of products. It's a brand new brand that, you know, we're launching at the end of next year. And so this is a major thing. So I'm going through this big discovery process right now, creating this business plan, submitting for all these funding applications. And it's a blast because it's like, I have that freedom now to be doing like learning and self-creating and and it took a lot of blood, sweat and tears to get where I am too. Like it, it's, that's something that I always want to let people know. Like when you sit there, you know, I, I got this Porsche 911 Turbo, I got my big boat, I got my, I busted my ass off for 20 years to get that. Where like I, I worked hard, I worked hard, I worked hard. So I just want to make sure you understand first that like, this is not easy. Chris is one of the hardest working guys I know. Like you, you've got to be, dedicated to growing your business but at the same time if you're not happy doing it like why are you doing it and for me it's like a painter a painter doesn't paint because they have to they paint because they want to and when you get to that point where you're running your business because you want to like it's just that's where the ultimate freedom is i think is when you're playing but working you know, like, and that's where it comes down to. Like, that's what I'm doing right now is like, I have all these interviews next week with funding. It's all things I've never done before, but it's kind of like building a house, which we're doing now. And I'm actually moving near where Chris lives. The, uh, there's so many new things to learn and it can be so intimidating. But once you learn them, the, you know, we were talking about your book, your very first book. And you're like, oh my goodness. Like you're, you're not embarrassed of it, but you're like, compared to what your books are now, you know, like there's so much different, but if you didn't do that first book and learn from that book and just take that risk and do that and learn something new, like you'd be totally different. You'd still be over at CrossFit training people right now, you know, so. 
So Jay, let's talk about, you know, at its peak, you called it the amazing selling machine. I know it as amazing.com. How big was it? Well, our best year. So in 2014 and 15, we were averaging about 40 million a year. And, uh, but then in 2015, what happened was that's when my daughter ended up getting diagnosed with cancer and it just, I, I couldn't run the company anymore. And the, there was a, you know, a business partner is a marriage. And at the end of the day, if you're not aligned on the same values and same direction, it's really hard. And, you know, I, I, you know, when I went through, you know, I've been divorced and I'm remarried now to the love of my life, but there's sacrifices. You're never going to be 100%. And I see so many young people get married thinking they can change people and stuff. It's like, oh. You know, and it's no different than going into business. You think like, oh, this is going to be great. There's going to be challenges. You're going to have issues. And that's why it's like never just do handshake agreements. If you're going to go into business, someone keep it legal. Make sure you're very clear on what success looks like, what failure looks like, and how you're going to get out of that. But anyway, so with me and Matt, like here's this young guy, and he's so focused mentally. And he's such a good business guy. And for him, it was all about running the business. And for me, it was all about the community. And that made it very hard for us to be aligned. And neither of us was wrong. Neither of us was right. It was just our preference of how running the company. And so at that time, because of my daughter having cancer and because of the direction of the company, I stepped out of the company. And I was actually going to be bought out back in 2015. Um, and then when I left, um, things just, so the company and you know, it, it, the, the timing is nice to say it was all me, uh, but it wasn't all me. It was also the symptoms of the company and all that. So when I left that year, they went from 40 million the year before down to 6 million. So then after about nine months, Matt asked me to come back because my daughter had gone through chemo. We thought she was going to be okay. So I came back in and the next year we got it back up to 20. But what we realized at that time is that our marriage was over from the perspective of what it was before. You know, when you first get married, they have the infatuation stage where it doesn't matter what you do, you love each other. But then life comes in. All of a sudden, you see how the person deals with conflict. You see how the person looks in the morning. Whatever the reason is, you know, suddenly it's it's a whole different ball of wax. And so for us, the problem was, is we had this huge company doing financially well. I mean, I'm making good bank. Um, and we're still improving people's lives. But me and Matt just, in essence, and we're still great friends today, but we just couldn't align. Like, we just couldn't. And a lot of it was my fault. Definitely agree to that because I was distracted because of the health issues. But it just never really went back to what it was. And I started getting tons of stress and anxiety. I'd be up all night and, you know, and I couldn't get rid of my belly. Like cortisol was just screaming through my veins because of like all the stress. And like, it didn't matter what kind of exercise and diet. Like I just, I was just stressed. I tried meditation, you know, I tried everything and anything. And then what I did was actually working with Todd, our coach at the time, um, and he even mentioned to it, he was like, well, why don't you buy, sell out? And I'm like, why? You know, I can't do that. But then at that time, we realized, like, the company's doing so well, but it's just going to tank unless one of the leaders let go. And it's kind of like raising your kids. You think, like, no, we'll just get through high school and, you know, once like get them through. But those kids know. If, if their house is dysfunctional, the house is dysfunctional. And our business was dysfunctional. 
I wanted to go a direction, he wanted to go a direction. So what I did is I just put an offer together that I thought was extremely fair. And as much as I owned 50% of the company, I didn't deserve to all of a sudden come up to him and say, give me 50%. So I made a really, uh, because to me, again, it was back to the basics for what, what do I want here? It's my lifestyle. So I got enough money out of it that I was happy. I felt like it was a respectful amount. And then I just walked away. And we made it very clean so that there was no lingering things like your part owner still. Nope, I'm completely out. And oh my goodness, it was within six months, I was a new person. And I didn't realize how unhappy I was in what I was doing and how damaging that was to my body. Plus your lifestyle. So you got you kind of get pulled into this thing where you just think, oh, this is life. This is what it's like. And it's like, that's a lie. That's a lie you're telling yourself. You're in control of every aspect. Now, of course, I'm not saying you're in control of your destiny and all that kind of stuff. Like a car can pull out in front of you. You can't control that kind of thing, but you control what you do today and you control what you decide on today and what you want. And if you're just thinking of today, I'm going to do what's best for me today, that's going to be a hard life to live. You know, it's always about, am I doing today what's going to get me farther tomorrow? Um, and you know, where I am in my business planning right now with this new business is really interesting because I started writing this business plan a year ago and I was telling my wife, oh, I'll have it done soon. I'll have it done soon. I only finished it about two weeks ago. It took me over a year to put this business plan together because it's a huge deal. I'm looking for a lot of funding. It's a pretty big facility that it's end up going to be. But I took my time and I really made sure I stayed true all the time to what it is I wanted to focus on. I built this amazing business plan and now I like I, the feedback I have on it is real. I think it's amazing anyway, but I guess you think all your books are amazing. <laughs> you owned amazing.com. You, you know yeah. what amazing means. I, yeah. yeah. And so I'm really excited for it. And it's interesting because I always built my businesses on my own money. So, you know, you, you grow slow and, but you know, I mean, I've been on Rich Dad, Poor Dad podcast. I've, I've talked to him numerous times. We worked together quite closely for a while. And he was always saying, like, use other people's money. Use the bank's money. And you even hear, like, whatever your thought on Trump is, it doesn't matter. Like, the guy leverages other people's money and he's done very well for that. And it's about banks. And it's not... So what you do is... You know, I have this collateral. I have this experience. Why would I invest a million dollars of my own money when I don't have to, when I can leverage other people's money to be able to fund this? And at the end of the day, it all works out better because now I have less stress. I have more focus. But the only way you can do that is to have a business plan. And because if you don't have a business plan, no one's going to trust in your funding. And the problem with the business plan I always got hung up in is like, if you're writing it, you mean it. Well, yeah, but you're not a fortune teller. It's not that you know exactly what's going to happen. So that was a big lesson for me. So I probably could have been done a little earlier, but not really because I wanted to make sure, but I overthought a lot of things I thought of. But then when I came back to it, I realized, well, if I didn't overthink that and come up with this other solution, that would have really hurt me here. So I, I was really, by focusing on trying to have a deadline for things like your business plan, that was really a, a dumb move on my part because a business plan has to be fluid. It has to be like, this is what you're building. This is what you're going. As ideas come up, you kind of got to be able to go with them because you're going to unlock a lot of things. And if all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, I'll just assume this and you won't pay attention to finances. It's like, oh man, you know, like if you're, your CFO 
is one of the most critical positions in your company because that finance, they should be looking at how to get funding, how to use funding, how to get tax breaks, tax incentives. Their job is to make your company more profitable, more cash efficient, better cash flow. And oftentimes they just think, oh, I hired my dad to be my CFO. No, you hired your dad to be a bookkeeper. Does your dad in there telling you how to get better returns, how to do all these other things? And so as starting a company, you got to lay, you got your CMO, CFO, CEO, COO, all those kind of things. No, that's you. Yeah. So I have to be in each one of those roles, really define what each one of those roles need. And that was a huge mistake I made earlier in life too, is downplaying the finance, the any of the administrators that say, oh, we'll get to that later. That cost me easily at easily, no word of a lie, a quarter of a million dollars in tax that I had to pay. Because at the end of the day, for example, when we were first growing our company Amazing, I would pay for the employees here, then I would submit and get reimbursed from the American company for management fees. Well, there was poor tracking on that, there's no proof of management fees, so all the government sees is that I got $100,000 that month, so you're taxed on it, so out of my pocket. It was stupid and it was 100% avoidable, but it was just because I thought like, no, 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 you can worry about that later. And you can't, you know, you've got to own those kind of things. Well, I think the common theme here throughout all these lessons has been you've, you've followed the audience, you built the audience first, and then you gave the audience what they wanted. How is the audience guiding you right now, Jay? So I have a, I have a, a current e-commerce company that was originally, it was still using the old model of a China source product. And in 2020, people were so, um, in 2020, people were saying like how with COVID it's going to cause all these things. And we didn't really see it until it started around September of 2020, where all of a sudden the supply chain rumors, like there's delays going on. 2021 hit and it just killed. Suddenly I went from having an incredible Christmas, ordering more inventory to not getting my inventory for 10 months. So we went actually eight months without any inventory. I'm still having to pay for my employees, for all the tools that we have and everything. And it was just this realization that this isn't working anymore. So suddenly, you know, I used to be able to ship a product, a big container full of product for about $7,000 from China to get it to our warehouse in the States. Well, that jumped up to over $20,000. We went from, it was costing us about $1.50 per product to ship it from China to the States. It went, now that's up around $5, like total transportation costs. The product costs themselves went up 10%. Plus, when it took 10 months for that product to come, we made a big order because we were just taking off. And we were hopeful that product would get in by April, so there'd be a close overlap of when our inventory totally ran out. It didn't happen, so all of a sudden our cash flow just got stunk. And I'm, and then when we got our product, there was a defect on it. The drawers are getting stuck. What do you do now? Send it back to China? It's all packaged, it's all, and so, like it was just enough. So what I ended up doing was really digging into, I went to school for manufacturing engineering technology back when I was young. And so it, it, and I worked manufacturing for the first five years, and a lot of what I did in manufacturing was, um, system optimization, looking at how can we make the system run faster. And it was always focused on that and I loved it. But then as I started my own business, I realized, you know, from my own business, you need a good product, but marketing is where I felt as a business owner at that time is really where I should focus my time. 
So through these combined lessons of, first of all, starting in manufacturing, then moving to e-commerce, then moving to private label e-commerce, it's kind of like a perfect timing now for me to create my own manufacturing facility here in Canada. And plus, I'm such a big advocate of the outdoors and being in nature and everything. It's wood-based products that we're creating. And so I'm super excited about it. And that's kind of like how that transition went. So we went from this huge company selling online, teaching people to realizing that as much as we had the success, like I'm literally like speaking at events. I'm like a a celebrity in this world. Like you heard people talking about me in that car and it felt so good, but I was miserable, you know? And it's so interesting because you think, oh, if I do, once I get here, I'll be happy. And it's like, no way, man. Like you got to get that figured out first, what you want in life before you start figuring out these other things. Because if you're just chasing dollars, man, I don't know how you can do it. Like, it just seems like, what's the point? And I guess the easy question for that is, what are the dollars for? And a good friend of mine, John Gill, always used this analogy I thought was cool. If you were on a building right now and you're 10 feet, you're 10 stories up in the, let's make it 100 stories. And I put a two by four across from this building to the next building. Would you walk across that two by four? And of course, everyone's going to know. Yeah, yeah. That building over there is on fire and your daughter's on top of that building. Are you walking across that two by four? Yeah, you know, and so it all comes down to what's your purpose? You know, and so if your purpose is shallow, that like, I, it's not lifestyle, something like, I just want to do this because I want to be able to say I have employees, you're going to be poor, man. You're, you know, because having employees are expensive. But if you're doing it because you have a greater purpose and you're enjoying what you're doing, it's like an like that's where I'm I get excited like doing it because you're doing it for a reason it, it's it's bigger than just a job does that make sense yeah okay cool one very wise thing my CFO said to me a few months ago uh, and we were trying to take our company from 5 to 10 million and I just wasn't excited about it because as you know going from like earning a million to earning 5 million a year personally doesn't change your lifestyle at all well it gives you more stress It doesn't change your lifestyle in a positive way. Correct, yeah. So ultimately what he found motivated me was to say, what if you could give away a million dollars a year? And so that meant a net worth of 20 million, et cetera, et cetera. But Jay, a lot of people actually preach this message that the lifestyle comes first, that the family comes first, but very few people reach a point where they've got a company that's making $40 million plus a year and they say, I'm not happy the path to happiness is to walk away. I think a lot of people would say, no, the path is to get to 50, the path is to get to 100. Where does that come from? I I guess at the end of the day, just being really honest with myself at that moment, because it's so easy to get caught up in the momentum of the excitement of it, but it was just, I was miserable. And you could... I could go for expensive dinners. I could go first class airplanes and I could do all these kind of things that gave me a shallow happiness. But at the end of the day, you you see these people, these massive movie stars that are going through anxiety and depression. It's like, how in the hell can you be depressed? You've got the world in the palm of your hand. It's like, it's because it's what they're living is not aligned with who they are as a person. Um, and you know, companies do this, but why don't we do this for ourselves? So one of the things that I did and Todd again, uh, coach that we both worked with helped me to really take a bunch of tests and you don't need a coach for this. Like there's a lot of tests online, um, that help you understand who you are as a person. 
And each one of them, you'll have someone say, oh, this one's better, this one's better. At the end of the day, they're all tools that give you a little bit of data that you have to be open to. So I did a whole bunch of tests to try to figure out, like answer questions, why I do things the way I do and what my alignment is and what are the things that make me happy. And by doing that, I understand it, first of all, that I'm just a person that gets a lot of satisfaction from the emotional side of things, from being able to engage with people and, and connect on an emotional level. I love this type of stuff, like just having deep conversations and so it's just something that was built in me. So you start seeing these things and how you deal with issues. So something that I'm not good with is bullies. And when I say bullies is someone that won't listen to your idea and forces their opinion. And if that results in me having to do a task, I will do that task as horrible as ever <laughs> because I'm not built that way. So you start all of a sudden piecing together who you are as a person because it's so easy to be someone you think you are leaving a complete lie because you're just miserable. And if you think about that, if you think you're doing what you do is great and you complain getting out of bed every morning, that, how is that working for you? You know, you've got to look and ask yourself, how is that working for you? And sometimes, you know, one of the best productivity tips I ever got, and you know, everyone says journaling sucks, but you don't have to journal every day. But the whole idea is when you stop and start keeping track of how you're living your life. So what I would do is I couldn't figure out why at the end of the day I felt so often that, man, I was busy today, but I got nothing done. So then every hour you stop and you just kind of write down what you've been on. All of a sudden you find out, wait, I've been an hour and a half on Facebook. Because you go in there to look for at business.com Facebook, but you first land on Facebook and that little red notification got your eye. You click on it. Now you're down a rabbit hole. So you start tracking all those little things and realizing like part of your biggest problem is yourself. You got to get yourself out of the way and focused on really making sure that when you're working, you're as efficient as possible. And so that's why timers I find are really good. Some people like to work. I like to work in 50 minute blocks. Some people like to work in two, two hour blocks. But you set that timer and during that 50 minutes, I am focused on one task. I don't multitask. I focus on one task to make sure I get that done because I don't want to work eight hour days. I work Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Those are the days that I have to work. And what I mean by that is those are the days I have to do what the business needs me to do. Mondays, Fridays, and the weekends, I do what I want to do. Because at the end of the day, owning a business, you're going to have to do the things you don't want to do, especially until you can hire people. And don't ever hire people before you know how to do the things you don't want to do, unless it's something really special, you know, really specialized. Like obviously if you're not able to fix a computer, you don't need to learn how to fix a computer before hiring someone, but you need to know why you have to use that computer and understand, know what the problem is so that the person's going to fix it. And oftentimes businesses hire people to solve a problem that they don't even know what the true problem is or what a solution is. And it's like they're hiring someone to do that. Isn't that your job? You own the company, like anything that's high strategy and going to create money, like don't outsource that. Don't consult that. Like that's what you got to be focused on. And so that's what I spend those days on is I make sure that, you know, I think we probably talked, I keep saying Todd, don't have to say it all the time, but you know, really looking at this hour, if I want to be worth $10 million, how much of a hourly rate do I need? So that means I'm getting paid 
$5,000 an hour, whatever you want to say. So then the tasks that I'm doing every day better be $5,000 an hour tasks. And what that means is tasks that I can't hire someone to do. I can't hire someone to come in and say, hey, go on Chris's podcast. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like there's things that I've earned that it's me that has to lead the way. Kind of like the funding. Like, I mean, I can't just go in and say, give me money. I have to lead the way and show, look, I'm putting my money in. I'm putting my skin in the game. Plus I did all this work. Now let's work together. But, and those are, I made so many mistakes, especially, oh my God. So I hired this, I, I called him a CFO. He wasn't, he was a bookkeeper. So he kept giving excuses to why the books weren't getting done on time. Six months later, he didn't do the books at all, not once. But I was so busy doing everything else and we were running so profitably, it didn't matter. I had money coming in hand over fist, things were exploding. And all of a sudden you, know, you look and it's just like, oh, like you, you just lose your, and so for me it was, that's what I'm trying to do so different now. And it's so hard because when you're starting a business, you get excited, you're like, yeah, we're gonna do this. And then it's like, well, just like a house, step back. We've got to first clear the trees. We've got to now do the foundation. You've got to do all of these things first. And that's what I'm really learning with this business plan is, you know, figuring out, especially when it got to the financials, because you don't know. But at the same time, by doing this, oh my good, did it ever, like all of a sudden, now I'm much clearer on what my product pricing needs to be. I'm much clearer on what my um, packaging pricings need to be. Like when you're first trying to do it and you just think, oh, okay, this is what we deal with. All of a sudden at the end of it, you have no idea if you're profitable or not. But by doing the blueprint right now, the, the business plan in advance, I'm very clear on how my finances are gonna be. And I've got great goals going into the year. So I know at the end of this year, if I'm not in alignment to hit these goals, well then I have my escape route now because I know in this business plan, if we don't hit these goals by this time, this is what I do. So the business plan kind of helps you not just set up for success, but ensure success because it gives you alternatives to do if something doesn't work out. But what's nice about it is it's fluid. So just cause you got it in black and white on the piece of paper, doesn't mean you're still not watching your audience and letting the audience guide. And as we talked about, Chris, my other, I'm, I'm also starting a new SaaS company and we're starting it with the audience. So originally I was building the software to provide a service to me for my business because, you know, I want to be able to work Amazon and Shopify together and, you know, have its dashboard for myself. Then I started realizing I was creating a product that then I was going to sell and thinking, well, if people saw that I did it, they would follow. But then I realized like that's a, that's, that's wrong because then what I'm doing is I'm trying to force the audience. What I do know is that from a paid advertising lead generation standpoint, in my opinion, that's one of the core things you need to do to get your business up and running. You need an audience, you need customers. So you got to be able to create that audience. Um, whether you can use blogs, but what I like about paid ad paid advertising and um, lead generation is you can get results today. You don't have to, I mean, how long did that take you, your blog, before it started taking traction? Three and a half years. Exactly. Now, you're not going to get better traction than that because you've built that up. But I can test the market rather quickly with some generic content, not generic, worthwhile content, but smaller content. Like I can create an ebook, a simple ebook, and just see if people are even interested in looking at the landing page. 
And if I can't get someone to look at the landing page, why am I even going to bother spending money on getting them past that? So that's where paid advertising, and I see a lot of people, you know, how many marketing consultants out there are like, oh, I can get your rank first page on Amazon. It's like, like, like for your company, you know, you got the two brain thing. Like all I have to do is make a five word phrase. Two brain is the best business thing. You know, like yeah. th there's a term I can get you page one on that. You know what I mean? It's like, well, what you need to do is you got to figure out what are the terms that people are actually taking action on that solve your problems. So if I need people to visit my web page, but I want them to buy my gadget, well then I better know what keywords people are using to buy that gadget before I start making all this content around keywords that could be just info. And that was a big thing I learned with Amazon because Amazon is the world's biggest shopping search engine. Google is the world's biggest information engine. If you market the same way on Amazon as you do on Google, it's not going to work. Because people are, when you go to Google, you're looking for information. And Google is like this big encyclopedia. Yeah, there's a percentage of them that are shoppers. But when I want to shop and I know, like back in the day when it was books, but now it's everything with Amazon, like right away, I want to go buy a book, I go to Amazon. Right. You know, you just know. And that's kind of like how things worked out. So Amazon's really good with that. When you go to Amazon, when I'm typing in um, microphone, that's already a pretty targeted thing. But when I type in microphone on Google, I might be looking for uh, information on the history of microphones. I might be looking at microphones for pets. Like, mm. it's so much more broad in information. So to understand, like, you've got 100 keywords that people are looking for, and some of them are getting, like, 50 visitors a day. You'll have no sales because it's purely an instinctual buying term or um, information term rather than a buying term. And all of a sudden you'll find this off kilter forward phrase that you would never have guessed and it converts just for some reason the psychology behind this. But you need paid advertising to kind of figure those things out. And the problem with paid advertising is it costs money. And so many bit like you got Amazon, for example, right now they make it. If you sell on there, you don't get any of the customer information. Now you sort of do. They give you a little bit because especially you've got to send the orders. But before you used to be able to get a lot more. Now you don't. So you can't build anything. You, you sell on Amazon. You're not building a business. You're building Amazon's business. You're not able to get customer leads, all that kind of stuff. And that's so critical for a business. Because if you have a product, I mean, it's like build, like they talk about, like if you build a Walmart in the middle of the bush, no one's going there. Right. Like maybe a Walmart's different. People will find, like they'll come out of the woodwork. But you know, like your gym, if your gym was up in like halfway between here and Walla, you'd never get people because it's just, you know, but now that you guys are located right in the center, of course, like you need to be where the traffic's going in the right type of traffic. And that's why I focus so much on that because I'm passionate about the idea that if you're going to change your situation and you have an idea, you need an audience to get that idea in front of. Um, and I've been so inspired by you, Chris, and also a good friend of mine, Charles Livingston, where I found that stories and communication and talking, you know, it's like that the salesman idea. If you're going right for the gut and you're going right for the sale, people are going to see through that. They're going to immediately see that, oh, but this guy keeps wanting me to do that. If instead, if you go for the relationship, and I know it sounds so corny at times, so hokey, so cliche, but it's so true. If you build the relationship first and then have them look at you for more guidance, that's where 
you can start selling things because now they're trusting you and you can almost like you're at a point with a lot of your audience you have you know that spider-man quote with great power comes great responsibility but you could sell <laughs> probably anything you wanted once you know what i'm saying like because you like because you have that power you've got that voice you've got the respect but it is so fragile because if you you send the wrong thing like all of a sudden you know they see through it and they're like he just did this to make money you know your whole reputation is gone so that's why like always focus on giving value and it's easier now than I'm on the other side as well too. Like I'm financially secure. I've put my sweat in, I've had those things. So I'm able to kind of look back and just be more wise, I guess. And, and for me, it's all about focusing on, I don't want stress anymore. I, you know, we talked about the aura ring. I use the aura ring. I focus on my sleep. I showed Chris just a few minutes ago. I got a 92 on my sleep last night. I always score 90s on sleep now. I'm so focused. Like our sleep is our superpower. And when I get enough sleep, I'm much better. And they, t you know, there's that idea that for some reason you got to burn the midnight oil, get up before everyone else. It's like, what? It's a 24-hour world. There's always someone up before you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, if you have an office, like, to me, it's like, there's no reason really to start before 10, in my opinion. Like, on the eastern side, you've got the whole... Now, if you're on the west coast, that's a little bit different, but then you get to stop your day earlier. But to me, it's like, work smarter. And that's where, if you just put that little bit of work in front and understand this is my goal, this is the direction, this is why I'm doing and what I'm doing, and this is the problem I'm solving, and this is my solution, you'll just be that much more focused and, I don't know, just not running around in circles, I guess. What do you want to get from these two new businesses, Jay, more than anything else? I've taught business for online now for six, 17 years, and I've had many successful businesses but they've all been online. I've never built a physical brick and mortar type business before. And it's a challenge. Again, it's just kind of like, why does the athlete want to climb that mountain? Why does, that's the mountain I want to climb. This is the, the so Porsche 911. That was my dream car, remember? being in London, Ontario, and seeing all these rich people drive by in 9-11s when I was taking the bus going to school, you know, going to college and just like, cause I, 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 I didn't grow up. My mom was a hairdresser. Like I, I didn't have anything growing up really, but I had love. And I always, I never ever had empty cupboards either. We always had food. So my, I always knew about hard work, but actually a funny story on that. I also remember going on an airplane and us walking past first class and me asking my mom, how come we don't sit there? And she laughed, she said, oh, we can't afford that. And my sister still tell me this to the day. I said to her, then I'm going to be one of them when I grow up and have a briefcase because you work too hard. My mom was a hairdresser and my dad was a... They worked all the time and they couldn't afford it. Like to me, it was like, well, then obviously at that moment, I realized that hard work does not make you wealthy. It's not a work ethic thing. It's not a work ethic thing. It's Now, again, you have to work hard, but it's like hard work doesn't make, it's not like I'm going to grind and be successful. It's like, how? Like if you're, you know, one thing my parents were horrible at is living beyond their means. My mom had all these diamond rings on, you know, she always wanted to look the rich part and everything. And it's like, why are you doing that now? Like if you're using a loan to buy your car to look fancy, like, you're doing it wrong you know like don't like and that's where my whole thing is stop bragging and start showing 
And once I was, and so my whole point with my portion on the turbo, that was my goal, is I wanted, that's how I knew I could be financially successful, is I was gonna have a Porsche. I was gonna have a million dollar launch, so I was gonna launch a product and the first day I was gonna make a million dollars, I was gonna have a Porsche 911 Turbo, and I was gonna have a live event. So I, I had those three big wins. I was able to buy my 911 Turbo cash. We did a about a six million dollar launch in 24 hours. And we had a live event where there's thousands of people there. I had multiple live events, but this one, like, I got to sit and interview Robert or Richard Branson on stage. And so I, I had hit these three things, and was that really profound for me? At first, what it did is it encouraged me to do more because I realized, look, you can do it. You just have to have your mind set on things, and you'll eventually get there. But then what also happened is I had no more motivation. All of a sudden it was kind of like, yeah, I've done everything. You know, I'm there. I was never driven by money, so it was not like, oh, I need to have more money. But I realized it was hurting me negative, so that's when I really started trying to figure out, well, what do I want to do now? And um, Body for Life or something like that. There's this tour that goes around the world where they have people's bodies cut into slices and they have like this plastic molding on them. And they show it's all about the anatomy. And they had this one section where it talked about, you know what I'm yeah, talking yeah, about. I yeah, do. yeah, I can picture it. It's really neat. And one of them, they talked about the longest living people in the world. And there was like Okinawa, Japan, California actually has a community there. And there was a few other places in the world, but there's these small pockets. And what they all have in common is number one, community. Mm -hmm. So that they're involved with other people so that they feel a sense of ownership, purpose. So they all, whether it was gardening, they take care of a garden, no matter what it was, is they all had a purpose every day of something that they had to get accomplished. And then the third one was um, whole foods, eating just whole foods, not processed, like gardens, even meat. Like didn't, some of them were vegetarians, other of them weren't, didn't matter. It's always just single source foods. And so by looking at that, I realized, well, the, you know, for me, first of all, I love that. You know, the single source foods process, I don't want to do the community, but the focus. And so here I am, you know, I was 47 when I sold. And all of a sudden it's like, I could do this the rest of my life, sit here and watch TV and play video games. And I don't want to do that. You know, like there's no desire in that for me whatsoever. So I started thinking about what do I want to do? What do I want to do? And then I had my business, the, the China based one, the China source based one. And as it's, this opportunity started presenting itself. It was really interesting because what I did is I let go after I sold and I just lived my life. And my coach was really strong on doing this. He said, just figure out what it is you like doing. So things that I started doing was walking my dog every morning, working out every morning, doing these certain things. And then after about six months, he was like, okay, out of everything you're doing right now, what do you not want to stop doing? What is a no brain? Like you can't stop doing these. So for me, it was walking my dog in the morning. It was working out in the morning. It was not starting work until 11 o'clock in the morning. Because what I was finding is I had that, if all of a sudden you're stressed and you're looking at the clock and you can only do a shorter workout and stuff, right away you're starting your day bad. So I made sure for myself, okay, I start my day with how it aligns with me that I'm most effective. And then from 11 to five, I work straight six hours. So people say, oh, not eight hours. I guarantee you I get more done in those six hours than you do in 12. Like, cause I'm focused. I have everything written down. I, I'm a big follower of um, Agile. 
You know, I have a, a summarized agile where I only do um, to do in progress and done, but I keep everything visual and focused. And so during those six hours, I close my door, I work, 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 and then when I'm done, I step away. And I love it. And then when there's fun things that I like to work on and Friday's a stormy day and nobody wants to do anything, I grab my laptop and I'll work on it, but only if it's fun. And so it's really cool that I've got myself to that situation now where it's a challenge that I'm going to prove that you can have, you don't have to be burning the midnight oil to be successful. And I know it's possible. And because I see so many people miserable, burnt out. I mean, I think health is probably the least important thing in most entrepreneurs' life at times because it's like, I can't sleep. I'm eating fast food. I'm you know trying to do all those things and it's just horrible. So yeah, I guess, did that answer your question? Yeah. So now these new companies are lifestyle companies that will also fulfill your your need for purpose you know it's we all want to be altruistic and we talked about that earlier too about the whole thing about a non-profit or for-profit we all well not all of us but you and i are, are very akin to that where the give back is a big component of what you want to do and so i want this to make a difference like i really am using these companies this time like our focus right off the bat is help others so the first dollar of profit out of both of them for everything sold is going somewhere. So being able to create things like that where it's like you're creating something that's going to be this perpetual engine of good. That it's going to help you, but it's going to help the world in different ways. And it doesn't have to be big. All it has to be is something small. And like for this one, what we're looking at is probably helping with the SaaS one. I want to help female entrepreneurs, especially in countries in areas like Africa where they're still, it's really hard for them. We helped this uh, young girl in Uganda go through college and she became a nurse. And the challenge is like, she would literally like have to, you know, be requested to do sexual acts and, and things like that just to get like more work. And sometimes she just wouldn't be paid for like a month. And like, if she quits, well, they'll hire someone else when they start paying again. And it was just, you know, there, it, it's such a different world over there and there's still so many challenges. So that's something I feel good about. And so by right away, being able to do that and knowing that your company's helping someone else, it's a cool spot to be in. Yeah. Sometimes I worry when I share these things too, because you have to relate to people and where you are. Like if you're just starting off, you got a full-time job, you got a family, you have to put in extra hours. Like at the end of the day, like you can't say, oh, but I, I, I'm going to go to bed and play with my kids and work's got to come second. Well, then why don't you just tell yourself the truth and say, just do it as a hobby. Just have fun with it. Don't stress yourself out because you can't do both, you know? And then it's the hobby. If all of a sudden you find out, oh, it's getting some traction, then you can make decisions there. But we're so hard on ourselves and we always comparing, but... You better rein this in because I feel like I'm really yeah. going all over. No, that's great, Jay. And I think you just did bring it home is that ultimately you can design the lifestyle that you want. You can design the business that you want, but you need to get clear on what you want first. You do. Thanks a lot, Jay. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for listening to Business is Good. If you'd like to chat about this episode or the blog posts or podcasts that I put on the Business is Good site, just go to businessisgood.com and click join the movement. We'll see you there.